We're in a, a series here uh, that we're calling Somerset List. Come on, Somerset List. It's been uh, it's been incredible. Um, in fact, I I was telling the first service I called my my son called me like my twelve year old. He, he got a, he got a cell phone, so we're in that season. Um, and so so, but he's in the, he's in the great moment now as a parent where where he's calling me as a son, like you know, just just like calling saying hey, and then he just sits there. And because he like has a cell phone now, right? I know in a couple of years ago, I can't get a hold of him, right? But right now he's just calling me like, hey. And so he called me last night and he said, hey, dad, what song did you pick? Knowing that I was going to pick a song from the greatest era of music of all time, the 90s. He knew I was going to pick an R&B song. Come on. My jam. My jam but I couldn't make it happen. I begged God to give me an RB song. In fact, I begged God to give me a Boys to Men song. Come on. But the Lord wouldn't let me do it. Some of the lyrics just wouldn't be good for us. It wouldn't be life-giving to us this morning. So I couldn't get the RB song. I was a little disappointed. And I told my son, I said, I didn't do an RB song. I told him what song I did. He goes, come on, man. Come on. So I picked a 19, oh, man. A 1969 song. 1969. But get this. None of us in the room know, have any clue what this song is about. But we love this song. In fact, if you go to any sporting event, especially a Knights game, if you go to any sporting event, you're going to sing this song and you're going to love it. You're going to go nuts. In fact, you're not going to know most of the words, but you're going to sing it out loud. You're going to love it. You're going to belt it. 1969. Play that jam. Come on. Sweet care. Come on, do it. Bum, bum, bum. Good times never seem so, so good, so good, so good. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> they never. No one knows the second part of that chorus. We just. Bum, bum, bum. So. Uh, <laughs> I definitely played that part, not the part where you say touching you, touching me. We don't do that in church. But, um, but if, you, if you know the, the meaning of that song, if you know the meaning of that song, that song is actually about, uh, Neil Diamond wrote that song about his wife, Marsha. And uh, he wrote it in 1969 about her. But, he, but Marsha just didn't work well with the song. So he came up with another name. And John F. Kennedy's daughter at the time um, not at the time, her name's still this way, but John F. Kennedy's daughter <laughs> was Caroline. And so that's where the song, that's where the name Caroline comes from. But it's about his, his, uh, his wife, Marcia. And the song is very, it's very interesting because now that you know that and you know kind of what the meaning is about their relationship. And if you look at the chorus, just pull the chorus up for me here. If you look at the chorus, sweet Caroline, good times never seem so good. Good times never seem so good. And what he's saying is, is that as we live life and we go through life, we look back on what we're good, what we thought were, you know, they were, they were good times, but they're never so good as when you look back on them, right? Like, like we always take for granted the good times. And perspective changes everything, right? Perspective changes everything. When we look back on our life and we see the good times, we think to ourselves, man, those were really good times. Like the first time you heard some boys to men. Like that was good times. But now when you play boys to men, that is good. Good times, right? 
Good times. In fact, some of the times in your life when maybe they weren't so good times in your mind, but now you have perspective and you look back on them, you realize, man, those weren't so bad times. Right? Those were even some good times. And he says, I've been inclined now to believe that they never would in the moment. In the moment, we forget how good times are really good times until they're gone. And then we realize how good they actually were. You know, perspective really matters. The angle or way in which you look at something really, really shapes it. It really does matter. In fact, I look at the word perspective this week, and this is what it says. It says, a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something. It's a, it's a point of view. It's an angle in which we look at something. Isn't it crazy that um, perspective, your perspective in life really does change um, your circumstances. It really does change how you view the world um, based on your perspective. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and the New Testament. We're going to start in verse 7 in just a moment. But, um, but it's interesting when I read this passage, um, the Apostle Paul who wrote this had a certain perspective about life that I think allowed him to wrestle with the ever-changing patterns of life, the ever-changing circumstances of life. He had a perspective that really impacted how he viewed life. And because I'm preaching at Walk Church this morning, I have to do it because it's so fun. So if you're ready, say... That's so cool. I love that. If you're ready, say. I didn't say that yet. Come on. If you're hungry, say. Let's eat. Right? Let's eat. Sorry. H is way better at it than me. But let's eat. From the word of God, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, in other words, everything that I used to care about, Paul said, I have considered it to be loss. Because of Christ. He says, my perspective has changed. More than that, he says, I'm going to go deeper here. Everybody say deeper. Deeper. I'm going to go deeper. He says, I also consider everything to be lost in view, in comparison, in view, in my perspective of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Paul says, my perspective was compared to knowing Jesus as my Lord. There is like nothing that compares in the world compared to that. He says, because of him, Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them to be filth. Some of your translations say dung. He literally thinks, what's the worst thing of the worst? I'm going to think about poop. He says, I consider them to be poop. I consider them to be filth. I consider them to be nothing so that I may, what? Gain Christ. And what? Be found where? In him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now, this is important. Paul's not saying that he's gaining his salvation for doing something. Paul's saying he desires that Christ live in him in such a way, such a powerful way. It's less of him and more of Christ. He's saying, I'm not trying to earn salvation. When I think about the idea that God loves me, when I think about the idea of what I'm not, When I think about what I could not do for myself, and yet God put on flesh and came to earth in the form of Jesus, of a person, and lived among us and died the death that we deserve so that we can freely put our faith in Jesus and now know God. I didn't say just go to heaven. I'm saying know God personally. 
That's the gospel. And the fact is that God looks at you now, Paul says. This is what's so crazy. Paul says, God looks on you now and he doesn't see you and your inadequacies. He doesn't see, he doesn't see your problems and your blemishes. He looks at you and he sees you righteous. The fact that you will be, you are a hundred percent righteous today. Listen, as you will be a thousand years in heaven. Like you are perfectly right before God because you are a son or daughter of the king when you put your faith in Jesus as your way to know God. When you trust him as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible said, Paul saying, Paul saying, listen, when I think about that, when I wake up and I think about there's nothing today that I can do to earn more God's love. And there's nothing today that I can do to lose God's love. He says, when I think about that, there's nothing, nothing compared to that. The thought of that. Then verse 10, he says, okay, here's, here's how I keep that in front of me. Because that's this perspective of life. There's nothing compared to that. But he says in verse 10, here's how Paul keeps the perspective. He says, my goal then, my goal is to do what? To know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul says, my goal in life is to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this moment. It's a moment in time that you've ordained for these people, for myself, to open your word and read this text. You have a fresh, fresh word right now. God, I pray you would quiet our soul, our minds, our ears, our our heart, or quiet us. Quiet our anxieties, quiet our problems and the things that we've got going on in life god and in this moment just be present because jesus you promised you'd be in the room and you're in the room so we honor you this morning for being in the room and we want to hear exactly what you have to say not what i have to say but what you have to say and so god speak use me god in all my inadequacies god to speak your word with power, Lord, to, to transform lives. Not so that we would know about you, but that we'd know you. That's what we want, God. But we have not because we ask not, so we're asking. We're asking, God, would you please move powerfully among each and every single person here and translate everything that you need to be said to every single heart and life and circumstance today. We trust you. And if you believe that prayer, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Come on, Walters. So Paul, when he wrote this text, I got thinking about his life. I got thinking about, when I was reading this, I got thinking about when he was writing this text, what would it have been like for him? Here's a guy who was going through a very difficult season of his life. Here's a guy who had a past. He had an ugly past, by the way. A murderous past, actually. But yet, at this season of his life, had the right perspective about the grace of God on his life. In fact, Paul would go on to say, if there's anybody that needs the grace of God, it's me. Like, I'm the chief of sinners. Here's a guy who was on a mission for God. Probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest missionary to ever live. Was on a mission for God, to do something for God, but yet he had the right perspective about his life. And he had the right perspective that the difference, there's a big difference between doing something for God and being in God. Being in Christ. Here's a guy whose plans were always open to change. And, though they, did, and they really did. Here's a guy who had a plan to take the gospel to Rome to get it to the known world at the time, and his plans were always changing because our plans were never his plans. 
And so he was okay with that because he had the right perspective. And here's a guy who experienced, I'm talking real hardships, real pains. In fact, let me tell you this. The life after coming to know Christ didn't get easier. In fact, in some ways it got harder. In fact, in some ways it got more difficult. And here's a guy who was arrested multiple times for his faith, betrayed, even stoned. I don't mean the green stuff, I mean the rock stuff. He was stoned almost to death. So maybe we get that at lunch, it's cool. It's okay. He was, he was stoned, almost dead. He was betrayed, he was hurt. He had hardships in the midst of many good chips. That's not even a word, I just made it up. It's a good word. How did Paul develop this perspective? How, did he, how was he able to look at the ups and downs, the goods, the bads, the uglies, the, everything in his life? Even his past, it was terrible. Murderer. How was he able to look at all of his life and have the right perspective about his life? He tells us in verse 10 exactly how he did it. Look at verse 10 again. He says, because his ultimate life goal was what? To know him. Everything in his life, every circumstance, every move, every directional move, every problem, every good time and every bad time, everything was filtered through his one goal in life, to know him. I want to preach a sermon this morning that I've entitled, The Goal of Life. The Goal of Life. Paul's one goal was to know him. That was Paul's very heart and the essence of his eternal, spiritual, supernatural life that he wanted. That he wanted, that he desired the most was Jesus himself. He was not talking about, he, Paul's not talking about getting a relationship with God so he can have a cush life and a materialistic life. He's not talking about a relationship with God to fulfill all his dreams and desires. He's not even talking about a relationship with God to avoid suffering. He's saying in all things, good and bad, his ultimate desire in all of it is that God would use it in his life so that he would know him. And don't miss this. It's not that Paul didn't have other aspirations. He did. He's, trying, he's a missionary. He's trying to get the gospel to the known world. Paul had other aspirations in life. Of course he did. Of course he did. But even so, while all those things and aspirations were important to him, it did not take the place of the one goal, which was to know him. Everything was filtered through this truth of knowing God. And I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. He's not talking about knowing about God. He's talking about knowing God. Those are two different things. The word know here is not a logical knowing. The word know, the Greek word for know that he's using, he's talking about an experiential knowing. How many of you know that knowing God is different than knowing God? It's different. Paul's saying, I don't want him to know more about you, although that's good, logically. It's founded in the logical. He's saying, I need to know you. Paul's perspective about his life, the good, the hard, the change of plans, the ups and downs, were all filtered through this one goal. J.I. Packard says it like this. He says, once you become aware that the main business of life that you are here for is to know God, 
Most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. He said, when you realize that everything in your life is built with a purpose of this, to know God, everything else in your life falls into place because God uses all of it for the ultimate life goal. Paul knew this. In 2013, 14-ish, um, somewhere around there, I can't remember yesterday, um, my family and I moved uh, to Portland, Oregon to plant a church called Remedy City Church. And many of you guys have been there and were a part of that. Walk was such a massive part of that. And, um, and when I moved there, I mean, I'm, I'm young now, but I was, I was young in a lot of ways. Um, and when I moved there, I just wanted to take the gospel to a hard place. Here am I, God, Isaiah, send me. And I ran into that place with the gospel, wanted to share the gospel. God was going to build a great church. And, um, and though God did amazing work and the church is there and, and, all, and all good, what I realized about that journey, that it had nothing to really to do with me doing something for God. That through ups and downs and hardships and difficulties, at the end of the day, what God did in me was even probably way more than what God did even through me. That there was something more powerful and something going on that God was using that to change me. You know, oftentimes uh, what people miss about vision and aspirations and goals, whatever, what, what we miss about the things that these, these visions that God gives us for our lives, these, 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 these motivations for our life, what people often miss, miss is that um, we fail to understand is that God-given vision or goals are never about a destination but it's more about the people that God creates along the way to the destination. You see, Walk Church's story is not that it's a destination. If we could just get there, if I could just, if Walk Church could just get to the building, if we could just make the next step, if we could just get there, God, and God says, there's not the goal. The goal is the people that he's creating along the journey to get to the goal or to the destination. Come on, Walk Church. You got to do better. Now, this is Walk Church. And this is the, this is the 11 o'clock. Like, I'm jazzed. I'm ready for the 11 o'clock. We might get out here at 2 o'clock today. I don't know. Some of you are like, I'm out. <laughs> listen, it's not about the vision. It's not about, listen, it's not about where we're going. It's about, it's about who we're becoming. It's the journey of who we're becoming. God is developing a person, a people. Listen, it's not about if I could just get that job. If I could, if I could just get there, then it'll all work out. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is not going to develop in you what God wants to develop in you here. God wants to teach you where you're at. Because the ultimate goal is not for you to get there. The ultimate goal is for him to be in you here. Perspective matters. I often say, um, <laughs> I'll say it. I often say uh, that some of us are so stubborn, me, that sometimes... God will actually, he, 
God's the greatest Tetris player of all time. Y'all with me? Come on, that's 90s. Come on, people. All right, come on. God's the greatest Tetris player of all time. He maneuvers things around in such a way to work so deeply in your life that oftentimes, some of us are so stubborn, God allows us to go to places like Portland because I needed to go there because that was the place where I would depend on God the most. Some of us want to avoid it. But God's saying, I want to do something in you when you can't depend on yourself. And God says, I, listen, if the ultimate goal is to know him, Paul says, I count everything else loss. <laughs> That's nothing. He says, at the surpassing, listen, at the surpassing understanding and belief of, of knowing God, my goal is to know him so whatever comes, it's okay because God's going God's to work in my goal of knowing him. And, and, and listen to this. God is orchestrating everything in our lives for the one goal of knowing him more deeply. I mean, in fact, Jesus even said this. You know that? Jesus said this in John 17, 3. Look at this. He says, now this is eternal life. That they do everything they can do, be a good person, pray a prayer, be a good Christian, and go to heaven. And one day in heaven, that's the goal, the destination. Is that what he says? It says, now this is, etern- this is eternal life. That they what? Know you. He's saying, listen, it's, the goal is not to get to heaven. The goal is heaven on earth. The goal is knowing God in your life today. Everything in your life, the good, the bad, the easy, the hard, the location, the job, the relationship, the church you're a part of, everything in your life is used, is used for God's purposes in your life and to ultimately deepen your relationship with him. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you, thank you. Praise the Lord. I want to, um, I want to give you two warnings. Can I do that? I think it's important. I want to give you two warnings because I want to be crystal clear about this. This seems like so easy. <laughs> This seems like so easy, but it's not. Okay? I want to give you two warnings. Because here's, here's the key. Let me give you the big idea. Let me give you that. Write this down. Big idea. Really quick. We'll put it up on the screen. The big idea is this. The Christian life is not about a destination. It's about a relationship. Okay? It's not about a destination. It's about a relationship. Right? Following Jesus must not be about a destination, but rather following Jesus is about a day-to-day journey of knowing him more deeply. So with this big idea, this seems easy. We're like, yes, of course. But let me tell you how easy this is to miss in your daily life. Can I get a witness? This is so hard to remember. And let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't lean into this. Number one, here's what's going to happen. If you don't lean into this truth in your life, you will begin to question God's character and goodness when things don't go as planned. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. When life doesn't go your way, you will find yourself asking lots of why questions. Why, God? Why are you doing this? Why did you allow that? Versus what and how questions. God, I'm expecting to see what you will do with this. God, I don't know how, but I know you're going to work Because the ultimate goal is to know you. So I'm not even asking why. I'm asking what are you going to do with this and how are you going to do it. It's the difference between living in fear and living with expectation. I'm expecting in freedom that God's going to use this. 
in my life for the ultimate goal of knowing him. When you think that the situation or circumstance was not in, in when, it, when, the, when those things change, you, if you're not careful, you're going to start living your life with so much anxiety and apprehension versus free to embrace what life throws at us regardless, trusting that God is going to use it. What and how? You see the difficulties, the ups and downs of life? They don't have to be burdensome. They don't have to be unbearable. It's, it's, it's the way we look at them. It's our perspective. We must be, listen, we must be convinced that God is full of love. He is for us. He's not against us. That he has an ultimate goal for our life. That it should be our goal to know him. I love Romans 8, 28. I should get a shirt. Pastor Hyde knows. I share this verse all the time. It's like my verse. Because I cling to it all the time. Y'all know what Romans 8, 28 says, right? Put it up on the screen for you. And we what? That's the same word. We know. I didn't say I knew. I know. I'm not saying I, I, I know about it. No, I know. I've experienced. I know that on all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purposes. Here's the point. For a Christian, this is a promise. This is a journey verse, Pastor Hyden. You preaching, bro. I like it. Keep preaching. This is a journey verse. That everything God is doing and using your, doing in your life right now, the situation, the circumstances, everything in your life, it's a promise that I know that God's going to use it for your good. Hold on to it. Cling to it. Following Jesus is not about a destination. It's about a day-to-day relationship. Let me give you another, another caution if you don't get this. If you don't get this, you will become so familiar with your limited knowing, your limited view or experience of God that you're going to be some, so, so familiar. Listen to me. It's going to start breeding complacency. Here's what I mean by that. If the best thing you have in a relationship with God is what happened to you 10 years ago, that's not a relationship that's a religion. If all we do is keep going back to when I was 16 and praise God for salvation, you right? That's a moment. But if the best thing in your life in the salvation was the moment of salvation and not the relationship that came because of salvation, you're missing the goal. The goal is the relationship. It's the journey. We're not downplaying justification. I already spent a whole time on that. Amen. God looks at us and calls us holy because of Jesus. Praise God. We don't... There's enough in that truth to sing the rest of our life, right? For eternity, we will. To glorify God for the gospel. But I'm saying God didn't save you so that you can just go to heaven. God saved you because he wants to know you and you to know him. It's a relationship. It's a journey. I love what Brother Lawrence said. Let us occupy yourself entirely in what? Knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. The more we know him, the more I'm going to want to know him. 
As love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. We will learn to love him equally in the times of distress or in the times of great joy. That is so good. Let me tell you something, though. I read something like this. I see what Paul writes. And here's what I cannot seem to like get together in my puzzle of life. It seems like to me the more you know God. I don't say know about God. But the more you know God. It seems like to me the longer you walk with him. The more. The more excited you ought to be about the grace of God. You with me? I'm talking to myself here. It seems like the longer I walk with God, it seems like the more gracious I should become. It's hard to be grace-giving and gracious when you haven't been grace-filled. You with me? When I got no grace to give out, it's you know why? It's because I know a lot about God's grace, but I'm not experiencing God's grace. It's, 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 listen, some of the, the works that God just had his thought, some of the works or missions and things that God's calling us to, is to literally get us around people that not that we're better at, that we can actually bring to God so that God wants to show himself through those people in a way, listen to me, some of those difficult people in your life are actually put there in God's Tetris game put there so that you can become less listen and be more excited about the grace of god because here's the thing where would you be without him and when you experience these people in your life you think to yourself you you, listen if you think you're better than them you're knowing about god but when you're experiencing the grace of god you can show grace to even the people that get on your nerves grace you can't give it if you're not basking in it you can't give it If you're not filled in it. And I'm saying the more you know God. The more you know God. The more you can give. The more you can give. The more you can share. It's not more of you. It's more of him. And Paul says I need to know him. So here's what I want to do. I want to. I'm about done. There's. there's, Paul's going to go deeper. Say deeper. Paul's going to go deeper here. He's going to say, okay, you got it? Say, got it. it. Paul's going to say, I want to go deeper here. And I'm going to tell you two ways. I'm going to tell you how this works in life. And in verse 10, here's what he says. He says, my goal is to know him. And here's how. By the what? Power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, oh goodness. Yeesh. Wait, 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 wait. Yes! Ah, yeah. The power of his resurrection. And he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. So what's Paul saying? Well, let me try to explain like this. The power of his resurrection, Paul is saying, it's really twofold. One is, he's talking about the power to take someone from death to life. He's saying the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power that raises you from the dead. It's the same power that raises your spiritual blindness. 
that awakens your need for the gospel, awakens your need for Jesus, and you put your faith in Jesus as God. Without this power, you have no hope. It's the power of the resurrection that allows you to see your need for Jesus. If not, he's just another man. If not, he's just another teacher. But the power of the resurrection is that it opens your blindness. It opens your blindness to who he was and who he is. And that power to do that of realizing that you need to know God and the way to know God is by putting your faith in Jesus as your Lord, King, and Savior. And when that happens, you step from death to now indwell by the Holy Spirit, you step into life. And what happens in that moment is you begin to start having a hunger for God, to know God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You remember when that moment happened in your life and you realized you needed God and you asked God to come in your life, Jesus come in your life and to be your Lord, King, and Savior. And, and what happened in that moment, you remember like you started to have more of a hunger for God. You didn't know what it meant, but you just had a hunger for him. That's the power of the resurrection. But get this. Here's what Paul's saying. I want to know, the, I want to know that power from death to life. That's available to you as a Christian. But he says this. But the power of the resurrection is also not the fact that God saved you, justification. It's the fact that God is saving you. That's sanctification. The power of the resurrection is, is God is using all things in my life as a Tetris player, maneuvering things in my life in a way that I'm experiencing literally life change from the inside out. And the only way that can happen is the power of the resurrection to do it. The power in me to change me, to use all these things to change me from the inside out. God not only saved me, but God is saving you from you. We think God is calling you away from joy. God is calling you into joy, but into joy is not in of you. The end of you and the more of him is joy. And he's saying, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to say you're pursuing other things. Not that other things, aspirations are not important. Paul had them too. He's saying, but there is nothing more important than knowing God. And you will never be content. You will never find true joy, a part of less of you and more of him. And this is the power of the resurrection. This is the power of the resurrection. Now get this. We love it. Yes. Dang, Paul, just period that. But then he says, and the fellowship of his suffering. Now, here's what's interesting. Isn't it interesting that Paul puts the power of the resurrection before identifying in his sufferings? Like, why didn't he put identifying in his sufferings and then the power to avoid suffering? But he says the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Why is it not the power to avoid it? Here's Here's why. Get this. Because if you avoid it, you cannot be like him. People say, I want to follow Jesus. Do you really? You know what Jesus' life was like? It was a life of betrayal. It was a life of serving people that will curse you. It was literally dying to himself. So that he could know his father and his father could work through him. It was a life of denying and finding joy 
in the Father. People say, I want to follow Jesus. Then he says, pick up your cross daily and deny yourself. And follow me. And you'll find me. Pastor, I had read the passage earlier. Hey, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. How you got to do it? Open. Like, how much more does God want to give you? God wants to give you it. But it starts with, listen, the fellowship of a suffering, following him. How many of you know that God does his greatest, some of his greatest works in our lives when our plans mess up? God does his greatest works in our lives of knowing him when we can't depend on ourselves, but we depend on him. God, listen, try it. God's desire is not to give you power so you can do more for him. God's greatest desire is to give you power so you can die to yourself and be transformed to be like him. He's trying to get less of you and more of him. And he's using the fellowship of his sufferings to live the life that he lived. And to deny and to die the life that he lived. A life of denial. That's why 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. The fellowship of a suffering. My goal, Paul says, is to know him by the power of his resurrection. Yes, I'm saved, but he is saving me. And he's doing his greatest works in me while I'm in jail. He's doing his greatest works in me when I thought I was going there, but now I'm going there. He's doing his greatest works in me. Listen, when I have, listen, temptation, and he gives me the power to overcome it because it doesn't define me. He defines me. He's given me the power to change. He's given me the power. And it's in my suffering that I'm, that it's cutting away at me and I'm coming to know him in deeper ways. I, um, I might've shared this, um, this story with you and I have before, just forgive me and go with it. But, um, these are definitely not Jordans. Um, so this, these represent a lot to me. Um, these were my grandfathers. Back in 2014-ish, 14, 15, something like that, um, he passed away on Christmas Eve. My, I come from a divorced home, so my mother um, and father, um, through middle school years, we, we left there and we lived with my grandparents. My grandfather was a, was a bivocational preacher. Now, I'm from the mountains of um, East Tennessee. So if you're West Coast, you grew up learning about the Appalachian Mountains, Right? Your teachers were all wrong, okay? So I'm going to teach you what it is, okay? Our people are Appalachian people. We're mountain people. So my grandfather had a fifth-grade education. I owned a car dealership. City about 180,000 people in the Tri-Cities area. And, um, but he's a bivocational preacher from a small little country church up in the mountains of southwest Virginia. So I was baptized in a river. I mean, it's like... You know, you watch like Western days, right? Like that's like, that's, that's what it was, good people. But my grandfather, um, in all honesty, my perspective of his life was, to be honest, even as I got older and got married, I always thought, what a boring life. 
Don't judge me. That's what I thought. I always thought, what a, what a boring life. Cart, bivocational pastor. And I thought, man, I'm out here. I'm going to go plant a church. I'm going to go do things for God. One thing my grandfather always did was um, he was always spending time with God. In fact, at the car dealership, he had his Bible. It was always there. It was usually open. And it was you could see where he'd been reading it. And um, every, every night as a middle school boy, I remember sitting downstairs. We had a split for your home. And I remember sitting downstairs. And I would hear my grandfather praying. He would get in the corner of the room upstairs. And he would pray out loud to God. And sometimes it would last 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. But as a boy who didn't know God, I knew my grandfather did. And it was like God was sitting in the room. Fifth grade education, didn't write books. Most of you don't know who he is, but I'm sharing a story. When I was two years in Portland on Christmas Eve, I got a phone call that he passed away suddenly. And I went back to his funeral and we had to rent the largest building that we could find in the, in the community for his funeral. Massive church, big building church. And in Tennessee, I don't, I don't think we do this here in Vegas, but maybe we do. But in funerals, we have, you have the body and then the family's there and everybody comes and visits the family and say, hey, and you pay your last respects. And it's called the, 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 the visiting, I think, the, the wake is what we call it. And, and we, we started that at 2.30 that day. And the funeral was supposed to start at 6. By 7.30, we had to, we had to stop people from coming in the parking lot. They were lying from 2.30 to 7.30, out the door, this massive church in the, in the parking lot. They played his funeral on the local radio station. And I cry every time I tell this story. Because my perspective of my grandfather now is way different. I thought he was a small country preacher in the hills of southwest Virginia. What a boring life. And I realized that day that my grandfather's life pursuit was to know God. It wasn't about what he was doing for God. It didn't look very cool. But it was just to know God. And what God did through a man's life with a fifth grade education in the hills of Southwest Southwest Virginia, he literally was the pastor of a city. People would walk up to us in the funeral and they'd say, they'd say, you don't know me. But I'm here because your, your papa paid our family's mortgage for six months. Met me in a Walmart parking lot. Hey, you don't know me. Met your grandfather at a gas station. He did this in my life. No clue. Do you know most missionaries we know in life, we don't know them. Listen, we don't actually know them until they're dead. The greatest missionary of all time, David Livingston, that I I call of all time in Africa, David David Livingston. His whole life, 40 million Christians in Africa today can be traced back to his life. Do you know in his lifetime, he had one person come to know Christ in his ministry? We call that a failure. God just laughs at us. I learned that my grandfather's main pursuit in life was to know him, and what he would do through him was far greater than anything anybody could hope or imagine. And I think it's kind of interesting to me that I wonder why God never shares that stuff with us like in that level when we're here. 
And you know why I think so? Because I think that, I think if we did as human beings, we'd somehow rely on ourselves. And God knows when we rely on ourselves, we miss joy. So I have these boots. And every time I see them, you know what it reminds me of? It's a journey. And God, listen, God's going to do great things through your life. But it's never going to be apart from doing, doing what he wants to do in your life. That the ultimate pursuit of your life is to know him. And this reminds me of the journey to walk, walk church, to walk. It's a journey of knowing him. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's the goal for your life. And everything should be wrapped up into that. Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I thank you for, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this moment. God, there's people in the room that have circumstances in their life that they don't, they've been asking a lot of why questions, Lord. And though I think as a, as a good father does, you show patience with us, Lord, in that. But Lord, I pray you give them the ability to start asking how. How are you going to use it? Expect you to use it. Trust that you're going to use it. I pray they realize that it's not about getting there or getting out of the situation, but it's about meeting you in the middle of it. God, I pray that there's people here this morning that no matter their age, 70, 80, 50, 20, 16, 8, no matter their age, God, there's people here this morning that know a lot about you, but they don't know you. I pray they realize that until they put their faith in Jesus as their King, Lord, and Savior, they will never truly experience the true purpose of why they live. And so, God, I pray that they this morning would not listen to the doubt in their head, but, Lord, they would step forward, share with Pastor Hyde and one of the pastors up here in a second, Lord, and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to know God, not just know about him. Lord, I pray they'd come to a saving knowledge and a saving relationship with you, a power of the resurrection would happen in their life. They'd go from death to life this morning. And Lord, I don't know how you're going to move and work in this moment, but I know you're working. I pray we just be obedient, God, to do whatever we got to do, to move where we got to move, to come to this altar. Lord, to lay our lives down and say, the goal of my life is I want to know you more deeply. Would you use everything in my life for that goal? And I'll wait on you when you say wait. And I'll go when you say go. But in my waiting, my going, it's not going to take the place. Of in both places are designed for me to know you. I pray we'd realize that, God. And move and, and act and depend upon you in this moment in a way that would be really life transformational, Lord. Lord, your word re- requires a response. You speak. It, it moves us to response. I pray we would do that. And we'll give you the glory for it. And all God's people say. Amen. If you'll go ahead and stand up, the altar's open. However, God may have you respond.